Well, there's a bunch of pinks over Colorado. That's good news. Uh, if, we, if we look at that in more detail, this is for Loveland. And the official forecast should be 2 to 50 inches. Is that going to cover it? <laughs> I mean, but technically, that's right. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 72. The Colorado launch continues. Hey guys, moving a regionally focused podcast, it's hard. Colorado has historically been, I guess, number five on the download list behind Vermont, Massachusetts, New York. California since 2015. It's going to take me some time and some effort. Bump it up, but that's what I'm working on now. Episode 71 was a attempt to do a panel format. We'll get better at those. Episode 70 was from Winter Park with my cousins who run a bar and fight fires. Uh, 69 was from Idaho. 42 was from Snowbird. 41 was with Chris Diamond, who used to run Steamboat. Uh, 40 was uh, an interview with Jason Blevins, formerly of Denver Post, now of Colorado Sun, and you just know him from mountain reporting in Colorado forever. Uh, 39 was about fat biking world championships with Dave Ox from Crested Butte. 18 was with the free skier guys. There's also Newfoundland and Hungary and Tahoe mixed into the archive. So there's some Western stuff in the background. We're going to have Colorado focused going forward. I'm new to here. Moved here three months ago. However, I, uh, I mean, I grew up in Boulder. I lived in, you know, Gun Barrel and Table Mesa. I went to Boulder High for a year. And I went to Nevin Platt. What's the other one? Southern Hills. You know, middle school and high school. And then some Vale, then some Steamboat. Um, ski bumming and stuff like that before going back east. But been gone for 20 years. So the pod is new to the people. I'm new to the area, 20 years removed. It all kind of feels very surreal. Um, I know how to get around on the roads, but all the businesses are different. All the people are different and the internet exists now. So it's been a while, but now we're back and the season skiing plan this year for me and the family is we have Loveland passes and I also have these silly skis called Marquette backcountry skis. They're made of plastic. They're 115 centimeters long. They're 115 millimeters wide and they have scales in the bottom. So I'm going to be skiing the foothills in strange places this winter because I can fit it into my schedule. Um, some of the podcast plan for this winter is I have all new mobile equipment so I can record episodes from the base lodge, from a hotel, from a restaurant or bar, from a party, from a parking lot, or just like this episode from an event at a ski shop. Um, all sorts of different formats are going to be coming our way. I already kind of have four different formats in my uh, quiver, you know, live from events, uh, multiple people interviewed at once, one-on-one -on -one interviews, travel stories. Um, so those are all in the archive, and we'll continue to kind of add to those now that we're kind of recording from all over the state. I'm also going to try to start doing these intros without reading them directly off a script. You guys can tell me if you think that's more fun or less fun. Good idea, bad idea, not really sure. So there's a lot of work in front of us, but it's going to be pretty fun, I think. And if you want to help, and maybe you know people in Colorado that will want to know about the podcast, but they don't know about it before, um, go onto my Instagram, tag your buddy on one of the posts, and be like, hey, 
Gianni, this is that podcast. The guy just moved to Colorado and he's going to be doing lots of content from your neck of the woods. Check it out. You know, do that kind of thing. That's an easy way to introduce somebody to the podcast. Um, obviously, I have my Patreon supporters, uh, patreon.com slash wintrymixcast. Those folks helped me to offset some costs. And we also raise money for local uh, charitable causes. Um, our most recent donation was to the Waterbury Area Trail Alliance in Vermont before we left. And um, no sponsor until this thing's cranking. I'm not even going to try and sell it until it's really kind of working well, which will be sometime later this fall or this winter, kind of whatever. If you want to reach me, uh, my email is alex at wintrymixcast.com. We're at wintrymixcast on Twitter. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, of course. But yeah, get at me. We can uh, do some future podcasts from some weird new locations. Your office, your business, uh, some event going on, a base lodge, kind of whatever. If it's going to be interesting content, maybe we can hook it up. So as we work to kind of turn a New England podcast into a Colorado podcast, part of why I'm pumped to bring you this recent Boulder pep talk from OpenSnow.com founder Joel Gratz. He's been a longtime pod listener, and I've, of course, been a longtime consumer of his wisdom and web products. I bet you probably do that, too. If you don't, check it out, opensnow.com. Stand by for the goods from a packed house at Neptune Mountaineering in Boulder. In a moment, we'll be at Neptune, but a quick note during the typical sponsor slot. Eventually, we'll have our new long-term partner right here, but till then, a list of past podcast partners from the Vermont days. Intopia, Snowbird, World Cup Supply, Peak Resorts, which I guess no longer exists, so it's kind of like Vale, Liftopia, The Alpine Shop, Town and Country of Stowe, and a bunch more. Thanks, everybody, for getting us to where we are today. I just want to say welcome to our second annual Kicking Into Winter Party. My name is Olivia, and I manage events here at Neptune. If you've been here before, um, welcome back. For those of you who are new to Neptune, we are a locally owned outdoor shop that has been focusing on getting people into the mountains since 1973. We are happy to say that this event, as you may have seen, benefits the friends of CAIC, and you may have seen their table when you came in. Um, Also very exciting Um, that we have going on tonight is that Alex Kaufman from the Wintry Mix podcast is here, who will be doing a live recording of our show, which we're thrilled about. His podcast is half skiing, half everything else, a wintry mix of of stuff that we got going. Um, And as we do in the backcountry, we like to pack out our trash. So if you have any cans, we're going to have a bunch of recycling bins on our way out. It helps our staff. It helps the earth. It's it's good to do. We appreciate it. So we're going to kick off tonight with a presentation and snow report by Joel Gratz. We're going to have a killer raffle after that point. If you don't know him, Joel Gratz is a meteorologist and outdoor sports junkie who founded Open Snow in 2011 to to guide skiers and riders to the most powder each day of the season. And we're stoked to have him here to drop some serious snow beta on us. So if we could all give a huge round of applause for Joel. Thank you. You're just clapping because it snowed last night, right? 
Yeah, that, yeah, there's that. You're like, it's at least half the reason. Um, hey, guys, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, first, let's thank Neptune. Can we give Neptune a big round of applause? Um, what, what you, and I know a lot of you probably know that Neptune um, has gone through some changes over the last couple of years. It is wonderful. Um, this is, it's an incredible place. I actually kind of got my start here at Neptune uh, back in, I want to say probably 2009, Chris Davenport and Art Burroughs were giving a presentation of their Ski the 14ers book. And I had this little blog email list called, actually it wasn't a blog, it was an email list called Colorado Powder Forecast. And I went up to Chris Davenport, I bought a book, I asked him to sign it, and I was all nervous. I was like, oh, should I do this, should I not do that? Oh, hey, Mr. Davenport, I, I'm a meteorologist and I have this, this email list, and can I get your email and I'll add you to it? And he was like, oh. I mean, this is typical of the ski industry. He's like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, send that to me. And uh, a couple weeks later, he shared it with a bunch of his friends, which are you know, some pretty cool people to know. Um, and, uh, and it kind of got me up to the next level. So uh, it has all started uh, here at Neptune. And I'm thrilled uh, to be presenting tonight and that you're all here. So let's start. Yes, we're going to start with a question. The ski area with the most lift service vertical feet in Colorado. Raise your hand. Yes, right there. No, right there. Hold on. Shh, shh. What is it? Vale. Vale. I'm not, I'm not as good as the family feud guy, but Vale. <laughs> vale is number five. Oh, this is so hard. Yes. Nope. Nope. We're going to go in the back right there. Yes. Highlands, Aspen Highlands, that makes the list at number four. You guys are going in the exact right order. Okay. <laughs> yes. Snowmass. And the that is absolutely. Oh, good. Let's fill in number two and three. Yes. Not Silverton. No, and so, so the key here is lift serviced. So Silverton is awesome, but the lift doesn't only go so far. Telluride. Telluride, absolutely. That's number two. Yeah. And last one, yes. Not Beaver Creek. Yes. You got it. Steamboat. So, so let's just be really clear on this, because I learned, I thought, oh, let's start out with an easy question and get us all warmed up. Well, this turns out not to be a very easy question, because one thing is there's lift service versus hikeable terrain. So that's another aspect. But then there is, and I forget the technical term, um, like proper lift service, meaning that you have to be able to ski from the top to the bottom. So just because the bottom is somewhere really low and the top is somewhere really high, if you couldn't actually link a ski run down that whole thing, then maybe that doesn't count. I'm not going there. I found a whole website around that. I learned some stuff. Very cool. But we'll, uh, maybe, maybe that'll be, that'll be uh, next year. Uh, we'll, we'll do something more proper. All right, very quickly, a little bit about me. How many people started skiing by the time they were four years old? Half the room. I love this place. <laughs> you ask that question anywhere else in, you know, in the country, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, so I, I started skiing when I was four years old. I started loving the weather the same day. I believe in elementary school, I knew I wanted to be a meteorologist. Uh, I went to Penn State uh, while well, I was a skier. Who's, where are the Penn Staters? 
Wow, we are at Penn State, and I heard Tussie Mountain up here, which if you don't know, you are missing out. The summit is 1,800 uh, feet above sea level. The base is 1,400 feet above sea level. <laughs> and I know there are probably some mathematicians, mathematicians, but I'll help you. That's 400 vertical. But I did have some of the best times in my life there, because uh, we skied there a couple days a week during college. So I was a ski racer. I wasn't good. Um, I went to Penn State in meteorology. I did a little better there. Uh, and so my first powder day was at Alpine Meadows because, you know, when you're at Shawnee Mountain, I love it. I love, anybody ski Shawnee Mountain in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Got a couple. Wow. It's like 5%. That's awesome. <laughs> and you're all here now. Good job. Um, but, but as the ski school director, Ronnie, told me, because I used to teach skiing there, said, never forget where you came from. And I truly had the best time of my life every weekend growing up at Shawnee. But then I discovered powder. Uh, and I was like, whoa, this is cool. Um, and then something bad happened. Uh, I missed a 12-inch day at Vail um, because uh, a friend of mine's dad or uh, uncle who lived out there said it's going to snow. And I was like, nah, the models don't say that. And it did, and I was pissed. The next, day, or the next year, I missed 48 inches in 48 hours. Anybody remember this storm? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hear, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I got really, really mad. And the reason I got really, really mad is because people would say, uh, well, you can't predict the weather. Like, ah, so 12 inches are predicted, and you got 48. Eh, it happens. I was like, no, 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 no. Being off by a few inches happens. Being off by three feet doesn't really happen because the weather is not magic. It's physics, right? Wow. <laughs> Again, you really got to love Boulder that that slide got an applause. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you, guys. I should just end now and be like, yep, there you go. <laughs> So, so, right, like, uh, okay, so the weather isn't forecast. We can't forecast it perfectly, but we should do a little bit better. And we should do a little bit better because technology has massively improved in the last 50 years. Uh, in the upper left is the first weather satellite image ever taken from space, Tiro satellite, 1960. That is Hurricane Katrina 45 years later, 15 years ago now almost. So you can see in just 45 years how far we've come with technology. We've come from not really being able to diagnose storms to being able to see them coming up to a week in advance. So I put all that together. You guys kind of know this deal if you've been here last year. Started as a 37-person email list. It is now a real thing. And I have you guys to thank uh, for that because we've done almost no, thank you. Um, We've done almost no advertising. It's word of mouth. It's you guys talking somebody's ear off in a chairlift, and it really helps uh, a ton. So we reach almost 3 million people now. The whole team does, which is super awesome. And the only thing I'll say about this, uh, we have a website and an app called Open Summit. So in the summer, uh, if you're hiking or uh, climbing some bigger peaks, uh, it's weather forecasting for that uh, as well. All right, so let's recap last year. Did you guys have a good year? Yeah, so that was last year. Oh, isn't that delightful? Let's look at that one more time, because that's just so nice. Uh, when I wake up at 5 in the morning writing a forecast, I kind of just look at this and be like, yeah, this is why we do it. Um, so that was at Wolf Creek in February. OK, we don't need to see that a third time. <laughs> this is in the northern mountains here. Just another old day, skiing deep, pal. You bet. Oh, it was delightful. So this is how it wound up through the year. The numbers and the colors all tell a good story, 120 to 150% of average snowpack uh, generally by the end of 
march across the entire state. So this is the key that everybody had a great year, right? It wasn't just the northern mountains or the southern mountains. We all did well. That makes everybody happy, and I get fewer angry emails when that occurs. <laughs> I get angry emails, absolutely. Uh, so why was last year so good? So this is a graphic showing the snowpack increase throughout the season. And it starts at zero in October. It goes up and peaks in early April and then melts out generally by July. The green line is the median. And then the other, the blue line is the highest it's ever been in 30 years. And the red line is the lowest it's ever been. And the black line is what happened last year. So we had a solid start. We had a couple good storms in October and November. It got us off to a good start. This is the most important part. You can see that during the meat of the season, the black line wasn't much above the green line. By, in terms of snow water equivalent, last year wasn't out of the ordinary for most of the season. But the key was consistency. That black line never went sideways for a month, which can happen around here. That's not abnormal, but it didn't happen last year, and that's awesome. And then, of course, in early March, the atmosphere went into berserk mode um, and gave us a ton of snow with a lot of liquid uh, equivalent. Uh, we had big avalanches, avalanches that may have been uh, not seen for hundreds of years, potentially, uh, according to CIIC. And then, of course, we had a late meltout. And we kept, we, well, we kept it going. And then the meltout uh, was a couple weeks late, as anybody who's hiking the high peaks uh, knows. There's a lot of snow up there. So big thumbs up for that. All right, so storm tracking. Anybody notice the date on that? Today, October powder, baby. How many people skied today? Yeah, I knew there would be a few of you. Good work. <laughs> Heck yeah. I couldn't resist. There was about, I know it's hard to see the ruler there. It was about 18 inches of base up in Berthoud, um, which is enough for low angle kind of grass pow skiing. Um, it got a little warm midday, but uh, hey, it's October, people. That's super fun. Um, all right, so what's coming up? I'm going to go to the computer. Uh, first of all, before I turn my back on this, um, here's Colorado, right here. This was the storm that just moved through. So I'm going to show you the forecast for the next week. Oh, not going to do it that way. All right, so here's the forecast for the next week. That kind of bullseye right there is Colorado. So that's the storm that's departing. Ooh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that shriek. I'm like, woo! <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what goes through my head too in the morning when I see this stuff. I'm like, yes. Um, so this is now on Sunday. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and for the Wintry Mix podcast, since you can't see this, there's a big blue blob going over Colorado, and we are getting big applause. That might be the first time a weather model has gotten a run of applause. <laughs> Good work, everybody. So the, here's the cool thing. So the first batch goes through on Monday, but then look, we get another batch. Hey, twofer. Um, so looking pretty good for a lot of snow early in the week. Here's something pretty interesting. Um, that's the forecast for Tuesday morning. That's from the European model. Uh, it's produced in Europe, but it covers the globe. So that shows a pretty good storm coming in toward Colorado. The Canadian model shows that storm a little further to the east. European. Canadian, right? So the Canadian model, maybe not quite as much snow. Here's the American model, boo. <laughs> but here's the thing. The European model is right, on average, more times than the American model. 
And the storm that just happened last night, the European model picked up on it two days before the American model. So my guess is that the American model and the Canadian will trend toward the European. We will have a very nice storm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Not to worry. How much snow? Uh, well, there's a bunch of pinks over Colorado. That's good news. Uh, if, we, if we look at that in more detail, this is for Loveland. And the official forecast should be 2 to 50 inches. Is that going to cover it? <laughs> I mean, but technically, that's right. <laughs> right? 2 to 50. Uh, these thicker lines in here are the average of multiple models. This, this system generally overdoes stuff, but uh, a foot of snow is not uh, impossible early next week. So we're going to kick off the season pretty well. One more thing to look at. Um, this is uh, open snow. This is Colorado. So this is the forecast. If you sum up those ranges uh, there, it's maybe 5 to 10, 8 to 14, depending on the mountain. Um, but I, I know a lot of people still email this question in. You can compare across mountains via a summary graph or table. And the awesome thing is you can do that on the app, too, and the website. So if you don't like this view, just click something else and find a view that you really like. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> All right. So that's what's coming up. It's going to snow early next week. Probably more snow near the divide and east, just like this last storm, than further west. But hey, snow is snow, and this is awesome. All right, so what you've all been waiting for. What will the season be like? Well, we're already skiing powder, so that's pretty cool. Can I get a, like, a little drum roll here? Because this is the big reveal. And got it. All right, five. Yeah, this age. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. OK, so the top is how much snow is on the ground as of today in Colorado. And the bottom is how much snow is on the ground last year at this time. So now, now before it looks crazy, realize a lot of the, the colors up here are at lower elevation because we just had a, a big storm. So the reality is last year, there was much more snow at this time in the southern mountains. This year, there's more snow in the northern mountains. But does it matter how much snow we have in October for the rest of the season? Is October a predictor of the rest of the season? Oh, you guys are good. OK. So along the bottom is how much snow fell in October, or what we ended October with, how much snow. The uh, yellow line is the meat, or the orange line is the median. Along the vertical axis is how much snow we ended the season with, snowpack. And this line is the median. So basically, there is no trend in this data. <laughs> I'm not a statistician, but I feel pretty good about that. For, for example, there's three years over the last 30 that ended October with zero snow across the entire state. Um, this one, and there's two dots here. Of those three years, one ended up below average, two ended up above average, just as an example. So, there is, so if there was a trend here, you'd probably see a line. The dots would be more like this diagonally. So if we had more snow in October, you'd have more snow the rest of the season. That doesn't happen. For the statisticians, r squared equals 0.06. No bueno. Um, so let's try something else for the season. Let's look at El Nino. Are we going to have an El Nino, La Nina, or La Nada? Uh, by the way, that's the extent of my Spanish. I'm sorry, um, unfortunately. Uh, so. So the gray bars show, and by the way, El Nino, La Nina, it's water temperatures in the central Pacific Ocean. El Nino means they're warmer than average. La Nina means they're colder than average. Why does that matter, the central Pacific Ocean? It controls weather patterns across the world. So it can influence our weather. Water temperatures over there can influence our weather here. 
So the best forecasting that we have shows that in the dead of winter, the highest chances are for this gray bar, La Nada. Small chance of El Nino, very low chance of La Nina. Does that matter? Well, only kind of. <laughs> so to the right is El Nino. To the left is La Nina. Same scale on the left with how much snow we wound up for the season with. Basically, there's no trend diagonally. There's nothing. On big El Nino years can be looking just like big La Nina years. Here is the thing to pull out of this. And I do want to credit um, our friend Jeff Lyslow for pointing this out, which is during really strong El Ninos or really strong La Ninas, the variability decreases. Your chances of having an average-ish or above average-ish year are pretty good if it's strong El Nino or strong La Nina. But with a weak signal, basically water temperatures plus or minus average, is the most variability, anything from really bad to really good. So this doesn't really help either. Bummer. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, if you're, if you're looking to get ahead of things, that chart looks the same for Utah, right? Like Utah is totally, it just doesn't matter. OK, so let's see if uh, we can trust these outlooks produced by the best forecasters in the country. No, no offense to them. Some of, you might be, some of them might be in the room. This is really hard to forecast three to six months out. But let's look at what happened last summer or last winter. Above average, uh, the chances were for above average temperatures for most of the western third, and no clue kind of in the southeast. E EC means equal chances. We don't know. That's OK. A lot of times in meteorology, we just don't know. So what actually happened? It was virtually the opposite. Um, the western third was average or colder, and the southeast was warm. OK, so that didn't help too much. How about last year precipitation? We were in above average precipitation forecast. What actually happened? Well, almost all of the country had above average precipitation. And for Tahoe, which had a record-breaking year, that was not well forecast. Tahoe was in equal chances, basically no clue, and wound up doing really, really well. So this is a really hard problem to solve. Let's look at one more thing. This is really fun. You're going you're gonna to like this. So I'm just foreshadowing a little bit. So, so this is a forecast for this January, for temperatures for this January, averaging about eight models. And the coldest temperatures look like they're over the Intermountain West. Awesome news. Plan your ski trips for January, right? In this model, we trust. Well, um, let me do one thing. Well, let me just show one thing. I didn't do this. But the, the folks that produced this model said, well, hey, this is a good idea. Let's go back and see where this model has been accurate. And where it hasn't been accurate, let's just gray out the areas where it hasn't been accurate, right? Because we, we don't trust that at all. You ready? So, I mean, so, and, and let, me, let me be really clear. I am not picking on any meteorologist, any organization. This is a really hard problem to solve, forecasting out six months. So it's actually wonderful that the government provides charts like this so that you can understand the level of confidence or non-confidence that you can have in a forecast. And all I'll say is that the panhandle of Texas might be a little warmer than average. Um, all right. And also, let me just say, almost everything I show up here is funded by our tax dollars. Almost every app 
that you have, I mean, basically every app that you have for weather, not just open snow, but AccuWeather, Weather Channel, Dark Sky, whatever, Weather Underground, all gets foundational data paid for by our tax dollars. They might improve upon it or change it a little bit, but thank you for paying your taxes because this is one area where I think they are used very well. All right, so the recap, there's going to be snow. This season, we're all going to ski powder. You're going to want more snow sometimes and be really happy others. That's just how it goes. Winter is coming. You got it. So how, out, how far out can we forecast a storm? Eight to 10 days, based on the modeling, is about how far out you should trust a temperature outlook. And let me show you the improvement. So uh, these are small numbers, so I'll just read them out. This is 1998 up to present, so about the last 20 years or so. Uh, we have had confidence projecting temperatures, warmer than average, colder than average, average. Uh, starting 20 years ago, we can only go about, about five to six days. Now we're sometimes nine to 10 days out. So that's pretty cool. That's not saying that you're going to have a powder day in 10 days. That's just saying it's going to be colder than average, most likely. But this is still pretty cool. It gives you a signal of what's coming up. Six to eight days is a storm possibility. Similar chart, 1998 to present. 20 years ago, we could only see a storm coming about five days out reliably, five to six. Now we're somewhere in the six to even eight day range. Again, not saying, oh, and I saw somebody going like this. You see a lot of variability. Weather forecasting is actually globally more accurate in the winter um, because you have kind of bigger, more concrete storms. In the summer, it's more afternoon thunderstorms, which are much harder to forecast. Um, so the stronger the signal, the stronger the ability to forecast it. Um, so again, that's not saying you're going to have a powder day in eight days, but we know something's coming. <laughs> Pretty cool. All right, in three to five days, that's when things get really good. So you can see the relative accuracy over now the last um, actual 40 years, almost 40 years, uh, of 10-day, 7-day, 5-day, and 3-day. Um, pretty cool stuff. 10-day wasn't even on the map 40 years ago, and now at least it's on the map, although it's in this gray shading, which means it's not super accurate, as you guys know. Uh, um, 7 days is a little bit better. By the time we get into 5 and 3, we're doing really well. Not perfect, but pretty darn good. All right, to display this, let me show you an example storm from 6 years ago. See that big dip over Colorado? That's the storm, that dip. There's 20 lines up there. Each line represents a different version of a model that's been tweaked just a little bit. Um, all those lines agree because, as you can see at the top, that's the actual storm track. So all the models totally agree. Now I'm going to go back 15 days, 16 days before the actual storm. Do you think all of those models are going to agree or disagree? You ready for this one? Hold on. I've lost line of sight, so I can't do it. Sorry. All right, there we go. <laughs> the red line is the average. and the <laughs> So a, a, a few astute people have pointed out to me, well, look, that dash black line, that version got it exactly right 16 days out. All right, cool. Let's keep an eye on that as we get closer to the storm. 15 days, 13 days. OK, now 13 days, that dash black line is way up in Canada. No storm. Remember, every storm is different, but this is pretty typical. So 10 days out, we really had no clue what was going to happen. By eight days out, all right, something's coming. Right? We don't know exactly what, but something's coming. By five days out, we have a pretty good idea. By three days out, we have a really nice idea. Again, that's not typical of every storm. It's typical of most storms. Pretty cool stuff. All right, eight to 10 days. Just think about what might be coming down the pike, six to eight days. Oh, it might be a storm coming, three to five days. We got some details locked in. Or 
as a slide that I like to show every year because I think it's helpful. The actual way to plan a powder day is you have a beer to what might be coming up eight to 10 days from now. Six to eight days from now, you're just trying to clear your calendar. <laughs> Move the doctor's appointments because that's kind of embarrassing to be at a doctor's appointment that could have been moved when you could be skiing powder, right? Like that's just, that's just a bummer. Um, and then three to five days out, we know enough about the forecast that you start pretending like you're getting sick. Um, so that in three or five days when you're not at work, everybody's like, oh yeah, he really did look like he was coming down with something and you're skiing powder. <laughs> right. So, all right, let me, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna end with, uh, with a climate discussion because I get a lot of questions about this. Um, similar slide to what I showed, actually the same slide as what I showed last year, uh, but a healthy reminder. That is the annual amount of precipitation in Colorado, or sorry, in the, in the country, rain and melted snow. So that's everything. Notice that the most precipitation any area gets in Colorado is equal to the average back east. A lot of us are from back east, a good thing to keep in mind. The front range of Colorado, technically based on precipitation, should not look like our homes back east. The, the, just, the, there's, not, there's 40 to 60% less precipitation here than our homes back east. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. So the idea of all the grass, all the tree-lined streets, all of that, I'm not trying to advocate for one policy or another, but just tuck that in the back of your mind. We are in an arid state. That is just the deal. So let's look at snowfall and temperature over the last 80 years. The blue bar is snowfall. The uh, orange line is average temperature. No real trend in snowfall, but there is an upward trend in temperature. And thanks to Matt Makins, who helps to write the uh, Weather 5280 blog, weather5280.com. They do a great job for the front range. We focus on the mountains. They do a great job um, for the front range, so check them out. So I saw this. So let me go back. So no trend in winter precipitation, really. So I was like, OK, cool. That's what we got. And then I saw this. Climate change has altered winter precipitation. It's like, OK. You know, as of two months ago, there was a new study. Um, it's like, great. Tell me more. Well, not great, but like, tell me more. I want to learn about this. So this is what I saw. Uh, the green areas are more winter precipitation, and the orange areas are less. And I, I, Colorado is that square, that black square there in the middle of North America on the left side. So I was like, oh, man, we've gotten less precipitation according to the study. Well, little caveat, and I'm glad that the authors put this in there. So you see those dotted areas? Those have no statistical significance in the trend. That doesn't mean it's not a trend, but that means that we do not have statistical significance of that trend. So I circled areas that do have statistical significance. So there are some, for sure, but just not over us at this point. That doesn't mean that there won't be a trend in winter precipitation over Colorado, just that one is not statistically significant now. Interesting. All right, so let me bullet point this in three bullets. Temperatures have increased by 2 degrees in 30 years. They'll likely continue to increase based on the best modeling we have. Precipitation, no trend in the past, and there's low confidence in future forecasts. We just don't know. However, you don't have to be a meteorologist to put the first two bolts together and figure out if we're going to have similar amounts of precipitation and warmer temperatures, that we could have less snow at lower elevations and earlier snow melt and more drought because of warmer temperatures helping to evaporate the moisture in the soil. So let's look at this another way. There was a study done, and this, the data only went to 2,000, but it's still useful. So this is comparing basically snowpack um, and precipitation uh, at different elevations. 
So at lower elevations, the upper left is two to 3,000 feet, then three to 4,000 feet, then four to 5,000 feet. Uh, from 1980 to about 2000, or I'm sorry, 1950 to about 2000, um, there was a definite downward trend in snowpack at lower elevations, at the very lowest elevations across the western United States. Now let's look at 5,600 and 7,000 uh, feet. There's a downward trend, but a little bit less. Also, I don't know why the authors did this, and they, they did caveat it in the figure, but the vertical scale is different between these two, so just, I, I know. But there's still a downward trend. Um, it's a fraction, so I can tell you. It's a fraction of snow versus total precipitation. So um, where it goes from solid to dashed goes from statistically significant to not statistically significant. Um, and then the next bands, 8,000 to 9,500 9, feet, 9,500 to 10,500, and 10,500 to 11,000 feet, that downward trend has disappeared. This generally makes sense. It's getting warmer, but the highest elevations are still cold enough to have good snow and not have it melt out. Most of the Colorado skiing that we do is between about 8 and 12,000 feet. So in Colorado, the warmer temperatures have not yet impacted our snowfall. At lower elevation areas, they probably have. I know that's kind of a bummer to end on, so I'm not going to end on it. <laughs> I'm going to end on a couple powder days from last year. This is down at Wolf Creek. Ah, oh, it just, yeah, yeah. It's good, it's good. And then the, video, the sound in this isn't, um, isn't too high, but I was kind of like yipping like a little kid in that video. Um, and then here's, uh, here, here's my wife, uh, and again, you can't unfortunately hear the sound, but she's just kind of yipping like a little kid skiing down pow. So yes, we love powder. Our son, who's now two, was on skis last year. Of his own volition, well, not really, because I drove him there and we drove him there, but uh, he seemed to enjoy it. Um, so here's what's coming up. People always ask about this for open snow. A couple things that are coming up soon. Um, adding some driving directions to ski areas, so just one tap for new ski areas to get to. Trail maps, uh, just kind of easy wins to throw in there so you don't need a different app. You can uh, get it all in one app. Uh, this I'm really excited about. It might not seem like a big deal, but I, I kind of get tired of waiting for 12 or 24-hour reports. Kind of want to know what's happening like right now in the last hour or the last six hours. So before I go to bed, I know what's going on. And you might say, wait, 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 wait. There are snow state cams for that. You are 100% right. But there are no snow state cams in the backcountry. There are a few snow tell sites, which are great, but they don't cover everywhere. And Colorado is basically the only place in the country and maybe the world that has really good snow state cams that are representative of what you're going to ski. Almost nowhere else has something that good. So we're uh, attempting to give you real-time snow information. Hopefully, it'll be out in the next couple of months. Um, also, multiple models. We'll show you a little bit more of a range. You can make your own determination of what's going on. I don't want to say that we're going to put forecasts out for 2 to 50 inches, because that might make us look a little weird. Um, but you'll be able to look at multiple models. And then also a bunch more maps for forecasts and radars as well. Uh, radars and forecast maps don't always work perfectly everywhere, but we're going to show it to you and caveat them as we can. So um, that's it. Before I take questions, I just want to point out, I think a lot of people know this. We have iPhone and Android apps. So if you just have the Colorado Daily Snow bookmark in Safari or Chrome, that's awesome. But there's a lot more to open snow than just that. So check it out. Uh, a lot of the features are free and ad-supported. And we also have a all-access subscription, $19 a year, which I think is probably the best deal in skiing. Um, 
to get you to turn off advertising to get you a bunch of features and it also gets you open summit um, in the summer with that and the fact that you guys have clapped at physics and math jokes <laughs> I want to say thank you so much and I'm happy to take a couple of questions I, I don't know who invited these people. Not really sure. They just threw some type of underwear up here. I'm not sure. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> did I not invite you on a ski trip? Is that, is that what the, No, I did invite you on a ski trip. OK. Uh, yes, right back there. How is open snow going to do real-time snow reporting? Remember that earlier slide where I said, uh, weather is not magic, it's physics? It's magic. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Um, Initially, it's going to be from high-resolution short-term modeling, um, which we've determined actually will do a pretty decent job uh, with kind of estimating snowfall. I will not be able to tell you it snowed 6.4 inches at Winter Park. Um, and the snow state cam will generally be the most accurate thing to look at. But I feel reasonably confident to give you a range. It is snowing. It's not snowing. It's snowing hard. It hasn't snowed much. It snowed three to six inches in the last six hours, that kind of stuff. So it's probably not going to be perfect at first, uh, but I think it's going to be pretty decent. Actually, and a couple other government organizations use the same type of framework um, to do some reporting as well. So, good question. Yes? Oh, yeah. So, actually, Eldora has an inch. Um, they have a ruler on the Eldora Snow State Camp. Yeah, so just, just look. So, sometimes, also, guys, a little trick that I use sometimes the snow stakes, good problem to have, will get buried. And you're like, I can't tell, or they're plastered with snow. And you're like, I can't tell how much snow that is. Um, all access users get 24-hour um, time-lapse cams. So just do the time-lapse and run it back and forth. And they usually clear the stake every 24 hours, so you can run it back. I mean, this is what I do in the morning. Like, I run it back to when there's nothing on the stake. Or I run it forward to when there's something on the stake. I put my finger where I think the top is. Then I run it back <laughs> to when there's nothing on the stake. And I'm like, oh, cool, that's eight and a half inches. So that's useful. A Basin will not do that. You can email Al if you want. But um, I think the middle of the A is about six inches. The top of the A is like a foot, plus or minus. They, so. they, they claim that the top of the whole thing is 18. OK, and the top, yeah, the very, very, very top is 18. Basically, if like most of that thing's buried, you should go ski. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the, the, the question is that the, coast, the water off the coast of California is about eight degrees uh, warmer than average. Will that have any effect? Um, maybe, but it's kind of, so th there's something else called, <laughs> called the blob, <laughs> which is just an area of water off the northwest um, that was really warm during a few of the years that were really bad for snowfall here. So people were kind of blaming poor snowfall and high pressure on the blob. Um, I am not smart enough to do a lot of these studies, but I have friends that are smarter than me that can do a lot of these statistical studies. Um, and they basically said it's the opposite. The blob is not causing the high pressure. The high pressure is causing the blob. So when you have high pressure and not many storms, uh, the water surface is pretty calm. It can heat up quite a bit. You've got a lot of storms, churns up the water surface, the water surface cools down. So I don't know. So the short answer is I don't worry about that type of stuff, mostly because I'm unsure of whether that's actually the cause or the effect of just um, kind of benign weather. And, and what we saw a couple years ago, once storms started moving across the North Pacific, the blob of warm water went away because the surface of the water got churned up. It cooled down. Goodbye, blob. So I think it's more of the water is a reflection of the atmosphere, not the atmosphere is a reflection of the water in that case. That's a really good question. Other, yes? 
Is the upcharge on the I-70 express lane worth it? Well, uh, so, uh, so I'll tell you this. Um, it, I, I saw a study by CETA, and it did decrease travel times in total, not just for the express lane. So I, I mean, I don't have a massive opinion one way or the other, but that's kind of cool. I will say that I don't know about coming home, but the express lane that they're building going up, um, depending on how much you want to ski the powder early, might be very worth it in another year or whenever that's done. So good question. I think there was a question over here. Yes. Uh, can we add Snowtel data to the site? Absolutely. It's on, it's on our list okay. to throw on there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so the question was, Snowtel data are these backcountry weather stations. There's about 100 of them put in by the government. They measure snow. Can we add that to the website? Um, yes. It is on the list of pulling in a bunch of data sources. Basically, our goal uh, now is that I shouldn't be able to look at something, or I mean, any of you look at something snow-related that we don't have on open snow. Like, you shouldn't have to go out to some other website to get it. We should pull it all in. It takes time, it takes work, it takes quality control, all that, but we will get there, um, absolutely. Because I look at all that stuff every day, too. I'd much rather look at it in one spot, absolutely. Um, but um, for those of you, and I think a lot of you probably know, but if you're looking detailed backcountry data, CAIC website has a wonderful weather station page that has basically every mountain weather station that you can sort and filter and do all sorts of stuff. That is a go-to for me every morning. So um, that is a wonderful deal and support CIC, friends of CIC, because they make that all possible. OK, one or two more questions. Anyway, yes? The perfect storm. Yeah, what was the factors that lined up for March? And that was like 47 storms ago. Let me think about that. Um, now, I mean, basically, it just it kept going. and get, So there was two or three days, and it wasn't just the consistency of snow, but there was a lot of moisture in that snowpack, or in that snow that fell. So that was kind of what set off all the avalanches. Um, but sometimes the, sometimes the atmosphere just gets in a rut, and it kind of just stays in one pattern for a couple of days. And sometimes that can be high pressure, and you don't even notice it, right? And you're just kind of bummed about it. But sometimes that's a storm system like that, where there's just keep churning moisture off the Pacific. So I can't give you one reason. Um, and it's not, I don't want to say anomalous in terms of that's probably never happened. But it is anomalous in terms of it doesn't happen very often, for sure. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, one, in the back, yeah. <laughs> one second, I think I have a slide for this. What area of the country am I most excited to ski? Da, 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 da. Let's go back. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, and, and people ask me all the time, where's your favorite place to ski? And I'll give you the politically correct slash real, real answer, which is wherever it has snowed the most, or a lot, um, and I'm with my family or friends. That is, that is usually the one to do. I've, I've had wonderful powder days at every location in Colorado. Just got to time it, be with good people. It all kind of works. Uh, we love chasing snow around the western United States and up in Canada. It's awesome. I do know it in my head. <laughs> so, uh, well, I think I know it in my head. I don't know. So the question was, every ski area has a preferred wind direction. Last year, I talked about it a little bit. In the interest of just changing things up every year, I didn't include slides on that. Um, if you're curious, find me afterwards or email me, and I can chat with you about it. But there are certain wind directions that favor certain mountains. And I kind of have this in my mind, but eventually we will do modeling studies to either confirm or deny Joel Gratz, um, which, I would, which I would love to see uh, based on objective so it's data. It's scientifically validated. It's more about your general I mean, it, it's validated in the sense that, yeah, over 10 years, like Vail will not have a massive powder day on a southwest wind except about one every 15 storms or so, whereas a northwest wind, almost every storm is really good. For Vail. So it's that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it's pretty valid. But no, I haven't, you know, we haven't done a detailed modeling study 
um, on that. And to my knowledge, I don't think anybody has, and I really want to do it. It just takes time and the people. What's Southwest Crescent Foods? Yep. All right, maybe one more. Yeah. Ah, uh, good question. Yeah, so how do we pick the other, our other meteorologists? Um, <laughs> how do we pick our other meteorologists? Sorry, I'm laughing about something not related to that question that just happened up here. Um, underwear was put on a computer, but the joke's on you, because that's not my computer. Um, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to need to get some Clorox wipes on that. Uh, so uh, how do we pick our other forecasters? So early on, it was literally just somebody emailing me like, hey, Joel, there's this other person in California that does what you do. You guys should talk. I was like, oh, cool. And the same in Utah, and the same in Washington. There is, and this is not tooting my own horn, there's just very few people that know snow as an actual skier, know snow as weather inclined or a meteorologist, um, and can write about it and communicate it in a way that makes sense. It's just not a skill set that, that is easy to find. So a lot of it is just people that have been doing it themselves anyway on a blog or with friends that somebody tells us about and says, hey, go chat with this person. Trust me, I wish there were more, because I've been trying to find more for Canada and other areas. Um, and it is incredibly difficult um, to find people that are willing and able to kind of do stuff like that. So if anybody has ideas of people in other areas or that you've read blogs, please let me know. But it was not like a, this nationwide search and we whittled it down. It was very happenstance at the time. Yeah. Hey, guys, I think I'm standing between you and the raffle. Um, so let's do the raffle. But thank you so much again. Okay, Joel is badass, but before we pack up, let's get some vibe from the room. Colleen Rorty, Rockford, Illinois. What are the top three questions people ask when they walk into the shop? When did you guys remodel? Um, can I get a key for the bathroom? And uh, where's the climbing gear? There you go. You've had some time to think about it. Name hometown and then predict the winner, but try to sound like a meteorologist. Sound like Steve Krupp, Boulder, Colorado, DPS skis, low pressure, more than last year, everybody's happy, shop at Neptune's. What'd you take away from Joel's talk? I didn't hear it. I was working. <laughs> Name hometown and then predict the winter, but try to sound like a meteorologist. Bruce Edgerly, Boulder, Colorado. Backcountry access, makers of tracker, avalanche beacons, and float airbags, and BC Link radios. Uh, there's going to be a lot of highs and no lows for me. You're probably well in control of, of that being the case. Well, I am from Colorado, so that won't be that hard. <laughs> JG, not Jerry Garcia. Joel Gratz, give me the self-critique. That was the first one in 1920. How do you feel like you did? Uh, well, I got seven panties thrown at my direction. I'm not quite sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but the audience seemed to like it, and it may be because of beer, or maybe because of it snowed last night, or maybe it was just funny. One question that didn't get asked that I was curious about, your growth of open snow has obviously matched up with growth of the Internet, but it also matched up with growth of backcountry as a pursuit. Hmm. Do you think there's any kind of connection there? 
I don't know. We, you know, we don't specialize in backcountry a whole lot, although I, I know it helps. And I think a lot of backcountry uh, folks that love backcountry, I was about to say backcountry enthusiast, and that makes it sound like an old person's thing or something. <laughs> so folks who love um, backcountry probably are scraping to find any piece of data that they want. And so they they probably just like the additional info that we provide, whether it helps them directly or not. Or, um, But I, I think we were just kind of riding this wave of, we were late enough to the internet you, that you could start a website without millions of dollars, but we were early enough that not everybody was doing it yet, and uh, or kind of on social. And I think we just have this nice little, this nice little niche, and I love it. Good timing, kind of like uh, hitting the powder. Good timing. <laughs> some skill and some luck. You got it. Very good. <laughs> And it's rant time. I'm 40. I haven't invested in my own gear since having kids nine years ago, probably longer. And I sold half of what I had before we moved from Vermont. I feel naked in a land of gearheads. I'm not sure where to start, and I'm broke from redoing a patio in a basement bedroom after we moved. Total paralysis by analysis. I think I'm headed for another year of original Gatamas, original SPK, and my only uphill setup being a tele-mounted line blend. I'm embarrassed, but I don't know how to get myself out of the gear dirtbag rut now that my kids and wife get the new stuff before I do. Does anyone have any stories of recovery? I think I'm ready, but I just can't take the first step. End of rant. One more time, those archival Western episodes are 71, 70, 69, 42, 41, 39, and 18. And hit me up if you have an idea for 73. That would be the one after this one. Alex at WintryMixCast.com or at WintryMixCast on Instagram. In the meantime, I'll keep poking and prodding as the new guy in the new land. That's it. Let's put the chairs away and say goodnight. Oh, one more thing. Always stand by for after the beep. Never know what's in the outtakes. Okay, bye. After I moved to the mountains, uh, my folks moved back to Massachusetts. When I was 16, I became an adult, got emancipated, got my GED, and lived in a truck in Vail and Steamboat from like 96 to 99, uh, and then went to CMC and Steamboat before uh, resuming my college career back east. Um, some of you may have random memories of what I was up to in the 90s. There are no photographs of me during that time. Um, partially because digital cameras didn't exist, but also because I was just a dirty hippie with long hair living in a truck in a storage unit. Um, so it'll be interesting if I come across any of those folks as we get reestablished. Hey, Clay. Joseph Jones from Teaneck, New Jersey. Loving the new pod, even though you ditched us on the East Coast. It's all good. I'm from dirty Jersey anyway, so it doesn't matter. Great, great new format panel is great the one minute and 30 second time 
constraints make it awesome because they force people to say good things and keep it sweet. You should get my sister on the pod. She's a rep for Redline Sports in Boulder. She's cool. She skis. She climbs. She's lived in her van for many, many months. Keep keep ripping. Enjoy the leaves changing. And this was a pretty cool event. It's not a bad event space. What's next on the calendar? What's next on the calendar? We actually have um, Brendan Leonard of Semi-Rad. Um, he does a bunch of essays, outdoor cartoons. Um, he's going to be coming by the shop on Tuesday, October 29th, to talk about his new book, Bears Don't Care About Your Problems. Bears Don't Care About Your Problems. I love that title. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. That was a great little seminar. Um, so I have some problems that maybe you can help me solve because I have been, I don't know, on an East Coast snowpack for the last 25 years. And uh, I know what I don't know, but I lack equipment and skills. How should I kind of get started before I put myself in some tricky spots? You talking about backcountry? That's what I'm talking about, Mr. Backcountry Access. Help me access the backcountry starting from scratch at 40 years old with a uh, Oh, man. I don't even know if I even want to try. I only buy stuff for my kids now. Kids and wife, and I'm 40. Do I really want to start going in the backcountry um, in Colorado where the snowpack can actually bite you? I'm used to going backcountry in Vermont, and that's just, I don't know, I don't have to think as much. Well, the first thing, of course, is your brain. You want to learn how to recognize avalanche terrain and learn how to read the avalanche bullet and, and know what to ski and what not to ski according to conditions. That's... Point one. Uh, Point one, my brain, check. Yeah, learning. And then um, you got to have an avalanche transceiver, shovel, and probe. That's a package. You, one is useless without the other two. So you got to have that threesome. And then the next level of necessity is an avalanche airbag. Those are super proactive tools to actually keep you from getting buried in the first place. In that order is learning. It'll keep you out of avalanches. An airbag will keep you on the surface, and then the other stuff is reactive. Um, so you got to have really all, all three of those things. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters helping me offset costs, and we're raising money for local causes. It really just kind of keeps me from quitting to know that other people are tossing in a buck or two. So if you want to keep this thing going, that's definitely one way to help, and I will send you a sticker when you add on. Uh, eventually, I'll get a new Colorado-based sticker, or at least one that is not got Vermont on it, but I'm just going to kind of go through all these Vermont ones first, unless somebody wants to kind of design me one. Uh, maybe you're bored. Maybe you want some practice. Hit me up if you like making stickers for podcasts that are relocating. That sounds like a niche. I get it. You'll be my, uh, my guinea pig. Yeah, bring him in. All right. I need name, hometown, and then predict this winter, but sound like a meteorologist. Fuck. Start with the easy parts. Dan Serenza, Medford, New Jersey, home of big mountains, little surf. This winter, dust on crust. <laughs>